0: with D20 Radio, where gamers role www.d20radio.com
1: shore city you're listening to the underground radio bringing you all of the very best pokemon news and views this side of twist mountain i'm nateel
0: and i'm sam for today's broadcast we'll be bringing you a waylord sized portion of pokemon news discussing a truly magnificent water pokemon dipping into delibird's mailbag and turning our attention on the Hoenn region so sit back relax and give your radio Rotome what it wants So I think the first thing we'll talk about before we get into chatter is that we have a bit of a retraction or really an edit to our information we had on Conquest last week.
1: Yeah, so I had my very first Pokémon Conquest battle against another actual human being at League this week, and we learned something about the way that battles between players actually end up working out.
0: So as it turns out, there is a function that allows you to lower the maximum level that these Pokémon are going to be at when you're entering into battles against other human beings. But the thing about it is that while you can lower that maximum cap, none of the Pokémon that you will be entering will raise themselves up to that maximum cap. So if you're going to be entering a battle and you've got a... Axu, that's that's a Link level 37%, and you've got an Axu that is a Link level 59%. If you hit 40, the one that was at 59% will drop down to 40, but the one that was at 37 will not raise up to 40. So that's a, it's a little bit complicated there. Game Guide kind of, well, the manual in the box lied to me a little about that. And you will also keep the maximum evolution of those Pokemon that you got. So if you're going into a battle, you'll be taking with you like a Scrafty instead of a Scraggy or, you know, a, Dra- a Dragonair instead of a Dratini. So it's just something to think about when you go into battles with other people, you, you know, it just that you can kind of try to balance yourself out a little, but
1: it's really not all that, complicated it works just like it does with wi-fi battles on your regular pokemon black and white it's going to auto level anything that's above the level you set down and anything that's under that level is going to stay right where it's at so you have the option to choose an auto level area between everything from like 10 up to no auto leveling at all so there is a very huge amount of ways you can go about setting up these battles with other people. And, you know, the the battles against other people are pretty neat. It all happens in real time on your little screen, and I was pretty, pretty enthralled with the entire process.
0: It was pretty interesting, I'll give it that.
1: So we just wanted to make sure that we got you guys that appropriate amount of information, since that was something that neither Sam nor I had any firsthand experience with, and up until just this past League Week the information that we had found online, which, as we said, is extremely sketchy still. (laughs) It led us to believe that there would not be any auto-leveling for Pokémon in person-to-person battles for Pokémon Conquest.
0: Yeah, the information even on Serebii is still kind of lacking. It kind of makes me sad.
1: Yeah, but we'll do what we can. So, other than that Pokémon Conquest battle, what have you been up to this week, Sam?
0: Well, I have been theorizing more on this new deck that I've been putting together. I think I came out with a couple of solutions that will replace some of the Pokemon that I had working for it. I don't know. I was, when I'm building the deck, I was thinking of doing fossil Pokemon, but the thing with the fossil Pokemon is I needed to be able to get the fossils out there. And in all of the, Uh, lackey battles that we've had together, I've had a lot of trouble actually getting the fossils out, whether it's I couldn't draw the stadiums, the Twist Mountains that I needed, I couldn't draw the actual cards I needed, or I couldn't communicate off fast enough for getting those fossil cards out there. And I don't know, I was thinking about dropping the amount of fossil Pokémon I would have rolling out there and maybe throwing in some new Pokémon that would be able to you know, have attacks that hit the bench, you know, still keeping in line with this idea I've had of, you know, two or three energies max on each Pokémon so that they can roll out and get moving really, really quickly.
1: That's pretty awesome. And, you know, sometimes Pokémon just don't work out in the decks that you, you know, put them together for. Like, it's when I tr- built when I built my first Dynamotor deck, I was really adamant about including uh, the Ampharos that I had. I had an Ampharos Prime, and I really wanted to use it, and I just had to give up on the poor thing. I'm sorry, well, it happens. I've found ways to make it work on Lackey, but you know it's not it's neither here nor there anymore since those sets are gonna get cycled out on me really oh, quickly I yeah <laughs> so we're we're working on that in in the interim. I have been working on updating my Dynamotor deck for straight up black and white sets.
0: yeah, you fought me with the with the the very first upgrade to it that you made, and I gotta say it was pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, I've I've pulled out all of the cards that I had in it that were going to be shifted out in September, and the deck that I have built for it right now is only using the black and white block TCG sets, which was a challenge in and of itself because I'm planning for a rotation without having access to a full listing of the cards that are going to be coming in the set that's going to be replacing the sets that are rotating out.
0: Oh, I suppose.
1: So I'm sure that there will be some Pokemon cards and some trainer cards and things coming up in the Dragon's Exalted set that I'm going to want to include into this new deck. But for now, I'm working with mostly Raikou EX and Zapdos, because I love them.
0: Well, the Zapdos is nice, too, because it has that resistance to fighting.
1: I know, right? And it's, it's super helpful, because I had been using Tornadus in order to keep... Uh, Some sort of fighting resistance for me before, but I like the Zapdos more because I love Random Spark, which lets me do 50 damage to any Pokémon I choose. And then Thundering Hurricane gives me the potential for 200 damage if I can flip all of the heads.
0: Yeah, well, we know exactly what the likelihood is that you're going to be flipping all the heads, too.
1: Well, you say that, but (laughs) it only happens against you. So, <laughs> Although, speaking of lackey, that's really the only other thing I've done this week is I've taught, I taught my husband how to use lackey this week.
0: Oh, very awesome.
1: Yeah, and, you know, in my, my alluding to my ultimate heads flipping only happening with you, uh, in the battle that I was having against him, as we were sort of, as I was teaching him how to use the program, I was flipping, like, 70-80%
0: tails. Oh. So. <laughs> well.
1: My my Poke Karma is not that good yet, but I am making some improvements.
0: That's good. <laughs> you should totally have your husband battle me on the Internet sometime, because I think that would be awesome.
1: It absolutely would be. And if you happen to be on Lackey, you should come over to the D20 Radio Network forums, where we totally have a topic all about Lackey CCG up and running. We can exchange names and whatnot, set up times to throw down battles, because I would love to get more... TCG battles in with people that are playing tournament legal decks, not all of the people just floating around Lackey with their legacy decks and everybody using the stupid vile plume.
0: Yeah, but still, that would be pretty awesome. We should totally, if you know, we have any listeners out there interested in doing Lackey, we should totally get together and play some Pokémon.
1: Indeed. So what else have you been up to, Sam?
0: Well, the only other thing that I've been up to is that I've been... Uh, trying to mesh some of these other Pokemon that I made for the e four retro challenge that we had a week ago into some of my other teams and to see how well they work outside of the one team that I built them for and so far I gotta say I've liked how they've how they've synced up with some of my other Pokemon because I mean, the Lucario itself has two priority attacks. Maybe the Choice Band isn't a great item for him yet. I've had some issues, especially like yesterday when I was fighting Scott a couple of times, where it would get locked into the Extreme Speed attack, and then it couldn't do anything against an opponent that would pop in, like a... uh, Probopaths that would also have Magnet Pull and lock it in there. So then I was only doing maybe 5% damage to him every turn, and he could just slowly destroy me with Thunderbolt without me being able to switch out. So, I don't know, it'll take a little, a little more alteration, I think, just to get some of these moves on these Pokémon right, but so far, I like what I have, and it's really interesting to see how well these Pokemon are going to fit in on other teams that I might be making for the future.
1: Awesome. Well, and I know it's been sort of a a short Pokemon chatter week this week, but we are totally going to make up for it once we get into the news desk. But first, we are going to stop down with our favorite Delibird, who has brought us a little bit of mail. You have new mail.
0: Well, as we said earlier, we received a little bit of mail in the form of a tweet from Riven Sidrell about his theories on the inside of a Pokeball.
1: He told me, and this is just a direct quote from his tweets, that he thinks that Pokeballs are a gate-slash-tag-slash-scray system. Pokemon are digitally marked and then sent to a preserve somewhere. The top of the ball acts as a camera portal thing... Thus, it's more like summoning than true imprisonment. It's like the entry or the dream world or something. It has to be communal so the Pokémon have proper socialization time. I can get behind that. Yeah, I kind of like it being... I mean, I I don't think it's going to be quite like the entry or the dream world because that's all like this sort of weird like going into Pokémon's dreams sort of a thing. But I like the idea of it being more like the Pokémon are being sent to a digital preserve where they can interact with other Pokemon
0: I don't know the entry isn't necessarily all about Pokemon sleeping that the entry is sort of like this weird trans-dimensional space that is just you know hey trans-dimensional space accept it from Pokemon so well that's yeah that's that's the entry I guess I was I was I guess I was thinking more of the dream world specifically well but so yeah I've think that it's a valid argument. It's certainly no less valid than any of the ones that we came up with last week. So I agree. So yeah, if anybody else has any of those theories, you can totally send that to us. And, you know, we always love hearing mail because it's awesome.
1: <laughs> if you have anything that you would like to tell us your thoughts or comments or anything on anything that we've talked about in past shows, you can always send them in an email to the underground mailbag at gmail.com
0: and welcome to the news desk. We've got quite a bit of news here actually. The first item we have is that team building challenge pokemon voting begins today. The pokemon you can choose from are Dunsparce, Umbreon and Tropius and you can vote by commenting on the D20 radio network forum topic labeled team building challenge sending an email to the underground mailbag at gmail.com or sending a tweet to @hotpinkjoystick remember you only have until the end of this week the winning pokemon will be announced in next week's episode
1: we are super excited about this guys so please send your votes in we've got you know Super NU, Ridiculous Dunsparce, NU but still pretty workable Tropius, and the ever-popular UU Umbreon.
0: I'm pretty excited about this.
1: I am too. (laughs) In other news, Pokemon Black and White 2 have an American and European official release date. These new games are coming out on October 7th in America and on October 12th in Europe. We still don't have any word on Australian release dates, but we can safely assume that they'll probably be hitting that mid, mid-October range as well.
0: Which is also really awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a bit later than I was expecting. I was expecting a September release, but October's not the end of the world. At least it still hits before that super crazy holiday season.
0: And it's really nice, too, because it's in the it's in a range where we can get started and, you know, kind of work through Pokémon Conquest a little. We can hit the September range and we can start in with Dragons Exalted, and then we can have Black and White too. so it's kind of staggering out the awesome so that we're not overwhelmed by it.
1: It works out for us in our our podcasting sense. (laughs) Although, speaking of Conquest, we have some news on that front, too.
0: Yes, we do. Uh, Pokémon Conquest has an official European release date, European fans can get excited for the awesome game we discussed in our last episode coming to game stores near them on July 27th. Prepare your plan of attack now.
1: True story. European fans, you guys are probably the luckiest ones out there. Because you're getting it so late, you will have all of the information available to you, so you won't end up sinking like three hours into the game and then resetting like I did.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough, but...
1: It was a tough sell on that part. We've also got 10 new Poké dolls that have been added to the Dream World. These Pokémon include Bulbasaur, Psyduck, Poliwhirl, Slowpoke, Magikarp, Pelipper, Buizel, Mantyke, Timpole, and Ducklet. Kind of kind no. of a exciting thing, I guess
0: kind of an exciting thing it's <laughs> it's exciting if you have a house there and you're super excited about the house yeah which and i'm
1: totally not
0: <laughs> exactly i don't know you know well with some of the upcoming news we'll be talking about you know it might be worth it just to upgrade the house the home just a little but you know honestly you know, I'm probably going to be sucking all of the items out of it as soon as I can, just because of, well, we talked about it a couple of months ago, that 100-day time limit they have for holding the berries and any items that are going to be in there. So, you know, honestly, I'm probably going to be taking all of the berries out instead of spending them on, you know, the next polka dolls. But, what you know, a story. to each their own.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if polka dolls are something that you're excited about and you really love decorating your dream world house with them, there's ten brand new ones out there for you to go collect.
0: Exactly. The Pikachu the Premium box has been announced. This amazing Blu-ray box set contains an astounding 13 movies and five Pikachu shorts, everything from Mewtwo Strikes Back to Zoroark Master of Illusions. This set is only announced for Japanese audiences and will cost around four hundred US dollars.
1: That is an intense amount of Pokemon movies.
0: Yes it is, and in Blu-ray.
1: I know, that's that's what makes this whole like $400 price tag totally legitimate in my opinion because as far as I'm aware, most of the Pokemon movies are not available on Blu-ray period. Like I know for sure, like the really old ones 1 2 3 4 are definitely not and I don't think that that the newer ones have been released on Blu-ray either.
0: I don't think so. And you know, honestly some of those movies that they released, you know, super a, like a long time ago, they're only on those you know archaic versions of the DVDs, where it was like the first generation DVD releases. So you know, this is exciting news that they're actually branching out and giving Pokemon the Blu-ray stamp of approval.
1: Oh, I really, really hope that something like this comes over to the states, I, even if it's just like this ported over. I would, I would take it and I would buy it and I would watch all of the movies ever. <laughs> And now we're going to kind of get into what's going to take up the largest chunk of our news coverage this week. We have spoiler-free Black and White 2 coverage. That is right, fans. I sucked it up and bounded through the Black and White 2 coverage so that we can bring you all of the important Black and White 2 news without the story spoilers. So let's take a look at some of the awesomely important features and other things going on in the sequels.
0: First thing we wanted to talk about was in-game obtainable legendary Pokémon. Virizion, Kabalion, Terrakion, Reshiram, and Zekrom, along with Qrem are all going to be uh, obtainable in Black and White 2. You know, and, you know, I kind of figured that that was going to be the case, because, you know, Black and White, Black and White 2, you know, they'll probably give you other options to catch each of those Pokémon, But we've also got Latios and Latias, which are going to be version exclusive. Uxie, Mesprit, and Azelf. Registeel and Regice, which will be version exclusive. Regirock, Regigigas, Cresselia, and Heatran.
1: Yep. So you're going to have two Pokemon that are going to differ between Black and Black 2 and White 2, and that's going to be your Latios and Latias, and your Registeel, Regice
0: but that's also going to be a non-issue for both of us because we both pre-ordered black and white, too.
1: (laughs) Both of the games. All of the legendaries will be mine. (laughs) I'm actually pretty excited. This is like a rather substantial amalgamation of, you know, legendaries from a lot of the different regions. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of the fourth-gen legendaries here as well, but, you know, they're tossing Latios and Latias at us.
0: I know. And it's also really impressive too because, you know, while Latios and Latias were you know offered up in hard gold and soul silver on two different occasions, uh Registeel, Regice and Regirock, those guys haven't been around in a very, very long time.
1: Cresselia but, and Heatron too. Uh
0: yeah. The I think the Regirock, Regice and Registeel, you could only get those if you had that specific level one hundred Regigigas and you can only and you could get them back in platinum. But otherwise the only other way you could get them was to go back and replay Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald.
1: Indeed. The next big thing that we are going to talk about is this thing that they're calling Pokemon Metals. These things are so ridiculously awesome. They're essentially Pokemon achievements. You're going to receive them for doing everything from trading Pokemon 50 times to defeating the Elite Four with only a single Pokemon. With approximately 260 medals to achieve, there is a venerable metric ton of replay value to these new games.
0: And this is going to be super, super awesome, like you said, because now you actually get tangible rewards for doing all of these things so that you can sort of track your progress as to how much time and energy and effort you've put into your games.
1: It's it's just a prestige thing, because, I mean, you know, Pokemon players that obtain all 260 of these medals will have sunk an unbelievable amount of time into the game, because there are some of these medals. Like, you and I were talking about the fishing ones. There are medals for using the fishing rod set numbers of times, and one of those numbers of times is, like, what, 500?
0: It's something ridiculously high. And I can't even remember a single time in black and white that I even used the fishing rod.
1: Yeah, so there is going to be a ton of things to do. And there, like... There's a full listing of the medals on Cerebi. If you're interested, I will include a link with the show notes on the D20 radio topic for this particular episode, because that page itself has no story spoilers. And that way you can sort of peruse the medals on your own and sort of get a a feel for how vast these medals
0: actually are. And they are vast. (laughs) It's so exciting. We've got some new interactable Pokémon, and... The only one of these that we're going to talk about specifically, which also is quite possibly the most exciting news that I've had in a while for this, is Shiny Haxorus.
1: Shiny Haxorus!
0: After having seen all of the Pokémon within the Unova region, you'll get a special license to go to the Nature Sanctuary, and at the center of this amazing new area, absolutely brimming with Pokémon, is an elusive, shiny Haxorus, which you can soft-reset for.
1: It's just sitting there. It's like any one of the interactable legendary Pokémon, where you can, you know, go up to it, talk it, engage it in battle, and then check its stats, and if you don't like it, use Soft Reset and try again. That's going to happen for the Shiny Haxorus.
0: It's going to happen for the Shiny Haxorus for many, many days if it has to, just so that I can get a Shiny Haxorus, because he looks so cool. cool!
1: Ridiculously cool! Oh, my goodness. Another really huge thing that really excited me is that the Move Tutors are coming back. These guys are going to be located in four different cities across the Unova region and will actually be accepting shards as payment, not BP.
0: And that's kind of huge, because the last time we've even seen these Move Tutors that accept shards was way back in Platinum, so... This is really awesome because now you can actually get these moves, these relatively rare moves on these Pokémon that they would not normally be able to have. And some of these moves are going to be every kind of exciting, like Outrage on a Tropius or or Magic Code on a Melodic. It's just going to be insane.
1: Yeah, so these these move tutors are going to be super awesome, and the nice thing is, like, I was looking through the list of moves and things like that that the move tutors are going to be offering, and it's not nearly as ridiculous as it was in fourth gen.
0: Well, fourth gen was awfully ridiculous.
1: Yeah, but so they're they're they've definitely toned it back in an effort to help maintain some sort of balance in the game, and I'm really appreciative of that. But I'm also appreciative of the fact that. You know, a lot of these NU, Pokemon are going to get, you know, some new help in being viable
0: in OU battles. Sorry, Pokemon Company, but, you know, Love Disk just isn't worth it unless it can get some kind of competitive edge. I mean, <laughs> you know, there are just some Pokemon that just do not work well, even in their own tier. And you just kind of have to be like, well... You know, we need the Dream World ability, and we need a move tutor. Sorry, that <laughs> has to happen.
1: Oh goodness!
0: We've also got news that there are EV-reducing berries that are going to be available in game. On Route Five, there will be a Pokemon breeder that will each day sell you these rare berries. And I don't know. I was, I'm kind of disappointed by that news because I was hoping for Berry Pots again.
1: Yeah, I'm a little sad that we can't grow the berries, but the thing is that we're going to have access to them, and that was one of the things that you and I were really upset about was that we didn't have access to all of the berries in the
0: game. And especially the EV reducing berries because, I mean, otherwise the only other way to do it is invest multiple, multiple days in the dream world trying to grow the berries yourself out there, and if you don't have steady Internet connection or you don't have the time to invest in it for every day to water the berries and take care of them. And that can be kind of a chore when it comes to the dream world, as opposed to using the berry pots in Heart, Gold, and Soul, Silver. It was going to be really tough to correct any mistakes in EV training that you might have made.
1: It's, it's definitely not the most ideal solution to the problem, but it is a much better solution than
0: dream definite, world berry growing. <laughs> definite step up.
1: We've also got some exciting news about Heart Scales. In Driftvale City, there will be a new girl who will give you a Heart Scale each and every day.
0: Now, I know that there is already a girl in Driftvale City that will give you a Heart Scale, but she required that you show her a different move each day. Uh, Do you know if that was going to be the same case for this one?
1: So far, it it did did not tell me that she required anything of
0: you. Oh, so she just... You know, it was like, hey, heart scale, here you go.
1: That's what it sounded like on the internet, which is why I included it here. I could be wrong, but, you know, well, hope, hopefully <laughs> it'd be a lot easier to obtain heart scales that way.
0: That is actually a whole lot more convenient, because I will not tell you how inconvenient it is for you to have all of your Pokémon and then walk in there and be like, well, I would like you to show me a Pokémon who knows the move Smackdown. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll just go out, go into my Pokémon boxes, find a (laughs) Pokémon that can learn SmackDown, teach it the move, and then bring it back to you. And then she says, oh, you went through the trouble of teaching it that move. I'm so appreciative of that. Here's a heart scale. And it's like, oh, now I get to go and make that Pokémon. Forget this move. (laughs) All right. I guess I'll go do that now. (laughs) We've got some new missions known as FES Missions for Black and White 2. And these are like the entry missions from Black and White, but can be played alone. No word on if these are replacing the entry missions you do in the worlds of other people completely or not.
1: Yeah, this is just this sort of like new weird thing that I've been reading about. They're just called FES missions, and everything that I've read leads me to the conclusion that they are supposed to be like entry missions, but they're different in that you can play them just by yourself. And you can play them cooperatively with other people. But I don't know if they're completely replacing entry missions or not. And I'm going to be a little sad if they are because, you know,
0: I'm going to miss the Entralink exploit. Oh, most definitely. But I don't know, the entra- the Entralink exploit is too good. You'd think they, they would <laughs> leave it in there. And even then, if it doesn't happen, we'll, we'll always have both black and white for breeding purposes and then black and white too for battling. That's true. That's true. There is that. Bonus. There's also this awesome new place called
1: Join Avenue. This new area starts completely empty in your game, but as you connect with other people locally or over wireless, NPCs will come in and set up shop. These shops will be selling rare items and effects like those obtained by Pass Orbs in black and white, everything from increasing the hatch rate of Pokemon to apparently increasing your Pokemon's EVs.
0: That's pretty epic.
1: Yeah, I mean, Cerebee's got a lot of information up about this, and they're putting more information up about it every single day now as they're learning more about it as they continue to explore it. And the amount of stuff that's going to be available to you in this area after you've fully charged this joint avenue up is astounding. (laughs)
0: Do you know if there's going to be any word on whether those NPCs will leave, like in Black City and White Forest?
1: Mm -mm. It's all too new to really know if there's like a time limit on this stuff or if they'll leave if you don't interact with them or something like that. I would hope not, but I can't be sure yet.
0: I will probably flip a table if it's just like black, black city and white forest, where the where the NPCs are all like, "Well, sorry, bro, nothing going on here, bye." And it's <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, I guess that's <laughs> fine." Sammy can't use the word bro. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
1: it, I find it to be astoundingly ridiculous coming from your mouth. <laughs> Uh, Talk about our next news.
0: (laughs) Well, there's been an upgrade to the X-Transceiver or Cross-Transceiver, if you want to call it that.
1: I'm not sure we can call it an
0: upgrade. Well, yeah, I suppose. (laughs) The Seagir function will continue to act as, you know, a communication device and allow for video calls of sorts with the DSi and 3DS systems, and will also now include some some weird mini games for interacting with other people. And, you know, I got to say, I only used the X transceiver once and that was it. That was all of the X transceiver that I really needed. So I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure how well this will actually go over.
1: Well, and these, like, weird minigames are honestly really weird. There's, like, two of them that have been discovered so far. And the one that I actually, like, stopped and looked at was called, like, Balloon Pop. And it's a bunch of balloons that you're popping, and the balloons have, like, these weird stretched-out pixelated faces of other Pokemon characters on them. Oh. It, it, they're weird and kind of creepy, and I don't necessarily know that I approve. <laughs>
0: Raining absurd, stretched-out, pixelated Pokémon faces. I am going to say right now I don't approve, but...
1: It, it's got that same sort of, like, weird, uncanny valley feel as, like, Face Raiders, that weird augmented reality DS 3DS game that came with your 3DS.
0: Okay.
1: So, there's that. <laughs> The last thing that we're going to talk about to sort of round off our huge news discussion are two new items that are going to be coming in the games, the round charm and the shining charm. The round charm is going to make it easier for the daycare man to find eggs, which is super Uh,
0: cool. You know, I guess that's okay. I've run into, like, maybe two occasions where it's super hard for the daycare man to find eggs, so... You know, for this item it's kind of math for me, but then I've bred so many Pokémon that I kind of know how to do it in my sleep. So,
1: that's true. But this next item, man, this next item, the Shining yes. Charm brings makes it easier to find shiny Pokémon,
0: which is intense.
1: Oh my god, I squeezed so hard when I found out about this earlier tonight that Ben came into the bedroom and was concerned for my life because I made this weird <laughs> strangled noise of joy. <laughs> I was so excited because you if you've been listening to the podcast in the past, you know I have never found my own shiny Pokemon, ever.
0: Neither have I.
1: So this, this whole thing, man, I'm just so excited.
0: I know, right? Shiny Dragon Pokemon. All of the Shiny Dragon Pokemon. Uh, I
1: want them so badly.
0: I know, right?
1: I can't wait for October. Uh, and, you know, with that ridiculously awesome news, we're going to wrap up our news desk for this week and head over into our main topic. We've talked about Kanto and we've talked about Johto, so now it's time to take our journey through the Pokemon world to Hoenn, perhaps the least known region to modern Pokefans. With this region having only been introduced in one set of games while we impatiently await a Ruby Sapphire remake, Sam and I have not forgotten the wonders stored away in this
0: region. Hoenn is a region of the Pokemon world located south of Sinnoh, and is inspired by the real-life Japanese main island of Kyushu.
1: It is said that Hoenn was created by Groudon and Kyogre. Groudon raised the landmasses, and Kyogre filled the seas that would become the region. The meeting of these two Pokémon caused a great battle for supremacy to ensue. This raging battle continued until it was quieted by the mighty Rayquaza.
0: The vast majority of the names of Hoenn's cities are combinations of two words put together, usually with a reference to a naturally occurring event or natural phenomenon, rather than overt references to colors or plants like Kanto and Joto's cities had.
1: For instance, you have cities like Dewford Town, which would include dew, or Little Root Town, which has got your naturally occurring root. Two important areas of note in the Hoenn region are the Cave of Origin and Mount Pyre. These two opposing landmarks are very different from one another, and yet are inexorably tied together. The Cave of Origin is said to be where all life begins, and Mount Pyre is said to be where all life ends. In the Cave of Origins, a great and powerful Pokémon rests, and depending on if you were playing Ruby or Sapphire, that would be Groudon or Kyogre. Residents of sutopolis City, where the cave is located, are not allowed to enter it. Mount Pyre, however, is its own island, housing many Pokémon graves. Grieving trainers often go there to pay their respects.
0: Pokémon creator Junichi Masuda has stated that Hoenn's name comes from the Japanese word Hoenn, meaning Abundant Relations, which is reflected in the game's strong central theme of harmony between Pokémon and humankind and man and nature.
1: Hoenn has 16 major cities and towns, as well as its own Pokemon League, as opposed to Johto and Kanto's joint league. This makes Hoenn the region with the most cities and towns of any known region. Hoenn is also the region with the most towns and cities that do not have Pokemon gyms of their very own.
0: Hoenn also has 34 different routes which allow trainers to easily traverse the region. Like Sinnoh after it, Hohen's routes are numbered differently from Kanto and Johto, adding a one before the number of routes, numbered 101 to 134. These
1: routes, remarkably enough, were separated by the fewest number of gates of any region. Gates functioned as mechanisms to allow the game to stop and load routes to avoid crashes and other complications, and in the case of Hohen, only two were ever present on either side of the cycling road.
0: In keeping with Hohen's theme of immersion and fusion of man and nature, there are very few developed cities like Jodo's Goldenrod City or Kanto's Saffron City. Many of Hohen's cities are rather small, and especially in the case of Four Tree City, are almost completely immersed in the natural world.
1: In direct contrast to the forested Kanto and mountainous Johto, which the player primarily explores by traveling land routes, Hoenn has a great deal of
0: waterways and routes that can only be traversed
1: by surfing.
0: Hoenn is famous for introducing the concept of weather. Many of Hoenn's routes had weather conditions that changed depending on the day, and Hoenn also introduced the various weather-altering attacks that Pokémon use to change the battlefield environment and give themselves an advantage, which are Sunny Day, Rain Dance, Hail, and Sandstorm.
1: In addition to the much greater range of weather Hoenn possesses, it also has an ecosystem of far greater diversity than Kanto or Johto, ranging from a tropical rainforest to arid desert. Pokemon found there are subsequently far more exotic in appearance than any found in Kanto or Johto.
0: Hoenn's Gyms also featured the same names of their badges as their Japanese version counterparts, which makes it unique in terms of localization, as all other versions of the Pokemon games have had at least one or two gym badges be named something other than the literal translation of the Japanese name.
1: Hoenn also introduced for the first time the Battle Frontier, a place where Pokemon trainers from all over the region could gather to battle for glory and earn medals for competing in unique challenges not normally offered by the Pokemon League.
0: So now we're going to have a bit of a roundtable on Hoenn, which, you know, honestly, I think we should probably start it off with some of our favorite memories from Hoenn.
1: The Hoenn games, Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, are sort of weird for me because they were in this phase between where I was absolutely madly in love with Pokemon from the early days of Red, Blue, and, Heart Go- and Gold, and Silver, and then from the days when I was absolutely in love with the games again after I got my DS. So... For me, these games are sort of like this weird like fuzzy gray blur, but I do very clearly remember my first experience with Kyogre. Yes. That Pokémon kicked my butt for several days before I finally managed to catch it. And I had never encountered a legendary Pokémon before that I had had so much
0: trouble obtaining. Kyogre was kind of... A terror in his own light. I mean, sure, you had Groudon, who was, you know, relatively tough, but, you know, from what I've seen and what I experienced, I think Kyogre was probably the tougher one out of the two that you could actually fight and capture.
1: It was just something that I was completely blown away with. I had never faced an opponent that I had had so much difficulty with before that Pokémon. And so, you know, when I finally caught the dang thing, I was super proud of it, even though looking back, its stats were probably horrible, but...
0: Well, that was the case with every legendary Pokémon we ever had from that, you know, pre-awakening you know, time that we had (laughs) with Pokémon. Before
1: that moment of awakening and the realization that, hey, soft resetting is a legit thing, man.
0: I know, right? (laughs) A couple of the... I don't know. One of the one of the big things that I remembered from Hoenn was I had a copy of Emerald, and I had a lot of fun with it. It was, you know, vastly different from what I had experienced in some of the other Pokemon games, and it was kind of, it was kind of different in just general feel from Kanto that for, that I had only ever experienced from uh, Yellow and Fire Red and Leaf Green, but being able to run around and capture some of the legendary Pokémon like Groudon, Kyogre, and Rayquaza was really interesting for me because of the fact that they could change the environment or negate the environment in the case of Rayquaza. And Rayquaza was probably the biggest, you know, important Pokémon that I was looking for in the entire game because I, you know, even though... Technically, the ability isn't that great now. You can just switch him back out, and you can bring back the sunlight or the rain, you know. So it's not indefag- uh, indefatible, I guess is the right word for it. But just the idea that you could use airlock and just destroy the weather that was pervading the environment and, you know, force a Pokemon team to rethink their strategy was something that really intrigued me.
1: Yeah, the, the whole weather thing in Hoenn that they introduced was extremely interesting, and it really completely blew the minds of Pokémon fans at the time because that was something completely new, completely unique. And, you know, to Pokémon fans who didn't experience the games before that and that they, they've just grown up with it, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that same sort of impact like it did on you and me.
0: Oh, yeah. Just, well, just walking into the... Uh just walking into the desert that they had in Hoenn and just seeing the sandstorm pop up and feeling, you know, the little bit of terror you had knowing that you're engaging battles with these wild Pokémon and your HP is slowly draining away in this ridiculous sandstorm you entered into, you know, it added a bit of, like, this visceral awareness that, you know, you were running into a place that, you know, could very well end you, and you'd have to go back to the Pokémon Center and defeat.
1: You were on a legitimate timer. I know. I guess, oh, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about before we got, you know, too, too far away from our favorite memories. Contests.
0: Contests, yes.
1: Contests in this region were awesome.
0: They were most definitely my favorite of any of the contests that were available in 4th Gen. Is this This is where we had the voltage meter, right? Well, both of them had the voltage meter, but this was the one that didn't have the dress-up contest or the dancing thing. Yeah, I didn't like the dancing thing. No. Dancing thing was not acceptable. But the fact that you could participate in these contests and use combinations of moves that had a secondary feature that wasn't all about, you know, directly interfering with an opponent or directly causing them damage was fantastic.
1: It was super ridiculous and super new and an entirely new level of gameplay that I was just enthralled with. I remember spending a lot of time in the contest halls after, you know, I'd gotten over the whole, oh my god, new Pokémon game thing, but... I I really loved the contests from third gen. And, you know, when we hit the eventual Ruby Sapphire remake, which has to happen, it has to happen. I don't just want it to. It needs to. And when it does, I really hope that they do some serious, serious revamping to the contest system.
0: Well, I would... I would hope that they do, because they've had Heart, Gold, and Soul, silver, Black and White, and Black and White 2, to kind of give us a break from the contest thing. And when it comes back, I think it'll come back with a vengeance. I really do.
1: That vengeance better include voltage meters, and no dancing.
0: No dancing. Dancing <laughs> is not okay. But, you know, and that's the great thing about Hoenn, is that it was such a unique game. It brought so many new... It was a region, you know... That brought so many new things to Pokemon, and it was just mind-blowing to see, you know, while they didn't have specific day and night, which was introduced in fourth gen, you had the fact that you could have, you know, raging Uh, rainstorms or sandstorms popping up in deserts. You had weather that changed every day, depending on what route you were on. You know, it was just this new and amazing place that had so much more realism as opposed to Kanto and Johto, where it was just sunny all the time. Constantly. So, I don't know. This was really, really fascinating for me to play when I picked up Emerald, because it was... You know, it was complex in a way that I'd never experienced in Pokémon games before. Oh,
1: speaking of, you know, Pokémon themselves, I think you and I should finish out our discussion with some epic tales of our favorite Pokémon from the Hoenn region.
0: And, you know, what's really awesome about the Pokémon from the Hoenn region is that, you know, I think you and I can both agree that... They probably had some of the best, or at least the most interesting designs for their aesthetics, their aesthetic purposes of any of the other regions that we've seen so far.
1: See, it's so funny that we're getting into this discussion, because I am really, really hard-pressed to choose my favorite third-gen Pokémon, because I have so many of them. Like... Well, we can we can start with Absol.
0: Oh yeah, that's right.
1: I love Absol. I really really love Absol. And I just, you know, oh, she's she's so unbelievably amazing and you know, the lore surrounding Absol is very very powerful and strong in and of itself. I mean, she's the the disaster pokemon and you know, she's a trip lots of natural disasters are attributed to the appearance of these Pokemon when all they've ever really been trying to do is warn people that there's a disaster coming because they have the ability to sense them. And so they're this great misunderstood Pokemon, not to mention one of the only dark types that I really, truly, dearly love.
0: And, yeah, I have a little bit of a hard time with uh, third-gen Pokemon picking out a favorite, too. Because there are just a bunch of them that look really amazing, and, you know, it's hard to nail one down. I mean, when I first when I first played Emerald and I had looked through some of the third-gen Pokémon, a short list of some of them that I was really into picking up were Blaziken, Gardevoir, uh, I was interested in the Mightyena, there was the Melodic, obviously, the Flygon, and... You know, a couple of these Pokémon I wasn't able to get. Just finding a Phoebus and raising it into a Melodic by upgrading its beauty Beauty. was a chore in and of itself. It really was. But, you know, Blaziken, Gardevoir, I was in love with Gardevoir. I, you know, it was such a graceful-looking Pokémon. And it made me a little sad when I was trying to level it up, because in the first few areas, you only have you know, the Poochiena's out there. And it's like, okay, so I'm using Psychic on you, and it's not affecting you. And this Psychic-type attack is the only attack that my Ralts has. This isn't going to work out very well, (laughs) is it? So.
1: Oh, goodness. Two other Pokémon that I totally want to mention while we're talking about our favorite Pokémon from this region are Relicanth, because I love Relicanth.
0: Oh, that's right. Relicanth is the third-gen Pokémon.
1: Yeah, he is, and he is my favorite NU wall of all time. I love him so much.
0: Your NU wall that you have there is pretty dastardly strong when it comes to being a wall, because I still remember that plus six Thunder Fang with a Life Orb that my Mightyena had launched off, and it didn't take it out.
1: I know. I mean, he's he's got some flaws. I mean, he's got some serious weaknesses. He's weak to electric, fighting, ground, and then four times weak to water or to grass, excuse me. And so he's he's not the ideal wall, which is probably why he sits in the NU tier as opposed to being up somewhere more awesome, but he's he's so he's so cool and with, you know, having no recoil damage from uh oh what's that? ridiculous attack of his head smash no recoil damage from head smash makes him a lot more potent than a lot of other walls who have really terrible attack stats i mean his attack stat is actually a base 90
0: which is really awesome for a defensive pokemon because a lot of defensive pokemon that people use are pretty much just sitting out there and absorbing hits and then maybe answering back with popping out stealth rocks or inflicting a couple of status conditions.
1: Yeah, so he's he's super awesome and then my other super biggest favorite. I think I think I would have to give my favorite pokemon of the Hoenn region to manectric.
0: Oh, of course. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty sure Manectric takes the cake for me. And not necessarily because I was in love with Manectric back in 3rd Gen, but because of how in love I've fallen with Manectric since I got Black and White.
0: Oh yeah, because you've had just ridiculous luck with Manectric as a Pokémon in battling in a competitive sense, even against opponents that were OU or, you know, just ridiculous things like that. I think you've actually use that Manectric to great effect against Pokémon, even like my Garchomp.
1: Yeah, well, because when you when a, an opponent pops out, a ground-type Pokémon, they're typically not expecting uh, Hidden Power Ice coming from him. And, yep. and not just Hidden Power Ice, but Base 69 Hidden Power
0: Ice. Which is destructive to a lot of the Dragon types. I mean, even my Dragonite would be hard-pressed to deal with something like that.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's not a great Pokémon by, you know, typical... Base stat standards, but he makes an amazing revenge killer, and he makes a great... He's, he's a great Pokémon, and Manectric has been extremely good to me in the time that I have been
0: competitively
1: battling. So, top, top mark goes to Manectric for me.
0: And, yeah, the, the Melodic is probably hands down, probably the favorite that I have from third gen. I mean, sure, you have Pokemon like Metagross and Salamence and, you know, a couple of other really powerful, potent Pokemon, Flygon, but Melodic has treated me really well in pretty much the same way that Minectric has been treating you because the two Melodic that I've bred up and trained so far have both performed above and beyond my greatest expectations for them, even though they're placed in the UU tier. I mean, though both Melodics can stand up to their OU, you know, betters maybe in quotations to, you know, to great effect because they can learn just a wide variety of moves, wide variety of status moves, you know, they're Really amazing Pokemon. And I don't know, it's. They've just performed really well and they're so adorable. (laughs) They
1: are a very beautiful Pokemon.
0: And I don't know, just one other thing that I wanted to say too before we closed it off was for favorite Pokemon, even though I've rarely ever used him and he's such an odd Pokemon and he's, you know, you're hard pressed to do anything with him. Cast form.
1: He is super weird. And you're right, he does need to be mentioned because Castform was introduced to really sort of accentuate these weird weather changes that were popping around because when Castform pops out in the weather, suddenly he's got strange forms.
0: Yeah, and... It was really unique for him because he could learn every single type of weather-inflicting move. I mean, he could learn Sunny Day, Hail, Rain Dance, and Sandstorm, and his form changed depending on the weather that was out there. If it was uh, if there was no weather going on or Sandstorm, he would be the normal type and he'd be in his normal form. If he had rain out there, he would transform into this like adorable raindrop thing. If he had sun out there, he transformed into this bright, sunny-looking, you know, happy guy. He was such a unique Pokémon. And you could, I think you could get him from a scientist at the weather station. And he was so cool. And, you know, he's got terrible stats. Yeah, he's, he's, he's th- absolutely useless in competitive battle, but that doesn't make him any less of a neat Pokémon. <laughs> I know. And he's, I don't know, cast form. He's just such a unique pokemon it just really serves to ex- to ex- uh, accentuate the fact that hoenn was a super unique game it was probably one of the most unique that they've ever come out with
1: it was definitely the biggest cha- game changing game in the series i think And I suppose with that, we'll wrap up our discussion here on Hoenn. If you want to share your favorite Pokémon from these third-gen games, or if you'd like to share some of your favorite memories from the Hoenn region, you should send them in an email to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com.
0: What kind of Pokémon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you knowing through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you?
1: Yeah. This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number three hundred and fifty, Melodic.
0: Melodic is known as the tender Pokemon and evolves from the Pokemon Phoebus in two ways, having high beauty in Generations 3 and 4, and by link trade while holding a prism scale in Gen 5.
1: Melodic is described consistently as very eye catching and beautiful, having scales that shimmer in rainbow colors that appear to change depending on the viewer's angle.
0: Melodic's body is mostly a tan or cream complexion with especially vibrant scales on its tail and long fins that almost appear like waves of hair sweeping out from just above its eyes. It is thought to be designed after a sea serpent, most likely an oarfish.
1: Melodic are impossibly rare in the wild and can be found only at the bottom of a very deep lake.
0: Melodic have the power to calm opponents by removing the negative feelings they may possess, which likens them to psychic-type Pokémon to the extent of empathic ability.
1: Melodic are known to be very peaceful creatures and dislike conflict, avoiding battles and revealing themselves amongst arguing humans in an effort to calm their minds.
0: A number of notable trainers have used Melodic through the Pokémon lore, including Juan, leader of the Sootopolis City Gym, Wallace, champion of the Hoenn region, and Cynthia, champion of the Sinnoh region.
1: Melodic has been featured on nine TCG cards since the EX Hidden Legend series, none of which are currently tournament-legal.
0: Melodic is as non-confrontational as its Pokedex entries suggest. Melodic has some offensive might in Ice Beam and Scald, but its true power lies in its status moves— Toxic, Haze, Mirror Coat, Hypnosis, Recover, Light Screen, Confuse Ray, and Magic Coat are all effective moves, and Dragon Tail helps Melodic phase out bulky attackers or setup sweepers.
1: For a full write-up on video game strategy involving Melodic, check out Sam's article on the Pokedex Project at pokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you can just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an mp3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. Please join our discussions over at the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums.
0: So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it.
1: The Underground Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokémon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing Note Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org all original audio textual graphical and video content associated with the underground podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of nateel erickson and samuel ranke in affiliation with the d 20 radio network